One of the beauties of the book of Daniel is the book of Daniel provides this backdrop for human history and we begin tonight to dig into this portion of chapter 2 that ultimately culminates with the interpretation of this dream and we'll get into part of that tonight and one of the beauties of this particular uh, passage of scripture is that we have copies of this uh, that are old enough for us to understand that the information contained within them could not have been put in there after the fact. In other words, it wasn't that someone discerned what the world's uh, successive kingdoms would be like and then said, well, we'll just add that to the story because we have copies of this book that are older than the events that are contained uh, as far as the history of the world would be concerned because we find the Greek Empire coming along, we find the Roman Empire coming along, we find the Media Persian Empire coming along, and all of those are subsequent to the time that Daniel writes in and we have copies verified of this particular book that are old enough for us to say somebody authored these from outside of space and time because they have information in them that no one could have known during the time of Daniel and so it's one of the beauties of prophecy in that sense and so we'll pick up tonight in verse 24 here in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel in the second part of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream Let's pray and we'll pick up and read the word together. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this amazing book that has strengthened my faith. Lord, as I realize that you laid out world history before it even happened. And God, what you wrote, not only was it recorded here in this book that's contained within our Bibles, but Lord, the history of the world was contained Uh, in cuneiform tablets that are in museums all over the world and so we ask you now to speak to us Uh, encourage our faith build us up strengthen us lord Uh, help us to not spiritualize this passage lord help us remember that you were actually speaking for truth speak into our lives tonight we pray in jesus name amen verse 24 and therefore daniel went to arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. If you remember where this story picks up, the king is basically given an impossible edict. He he said, if someone can't tell me both the dream that I've had and its interpretation, then everyone dies. And so not only would you have had to know what the king had in the dream, but you'll have to be able to accurately interpret the dream. And, And so Daniel is now faced with a task that only God can undertake. And very often in our own lives, this is the place that the Lord leaves us. He leaves us in situations where there's nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, uh, no place that that information can come from, no way that those things can happen. And ultimately, as we'll see in this passage tonight, that is so that the Lord himself can lead, guide, and direct, and ultimately get the glory, because it then testifies of who he is. And that is certainly the case here in this passage tonight. And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. And obviously to tell him the interpretation, he has to know what the dream is as well. So he's going to have both pieces of information. Then Ariel quickly brought brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, For I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known the king's the interpretation and the king answered and said to Daniel whose name 
was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Now here comes the question. And for us, this may be the question of questions. Because the Lord is going to do in your life, the Lord is going to work in your life. The question is, who ultimately is going to get the glory for the things that God does in your life? Notice what Daniel says And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. He's saying, King, you've put your hope, you've put your trust in the wrong gods. You've looked for answers where you actually can't find them. But there is a God in heaven. Amen? But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And please underline that because it becomes a backdrop for really the rest of this book and for all of prophetic scripture. Because the focus ultimately beyond the the circumstantial things that we'll find out about the world's history and the things going forward, that the world will actually begin to evolve and we'll see what Daniel's actually going to do here and interpret this dream. We're going to actually get to see that in world history. But God is also speaking forth what is going to happen before it happens. He's actually going to let us in on some of those things which are secrets. And notice Daniel gives God credit in exactly that. He said in verse 20, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Secrets by their very definition are things that are not commonly known. The average person does not have them. Notice it doesn't just say information. It literally says secret things. The implication is this knowledge is not available simply by studying. This knowledge can't come to you because you're in the know with a certain group of people. This literally is a secret that God only knows. There is a God in heaven who does that. And he says further, what will be in the latter days? And it literally says, in the end days. The last of time. Referring to mankind's sojourn here on this earth. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he's going to move into the interpretation next. But this interpretation begins with what is pretty clearly a contrast. And it's a contrast that you and I face. It's one we talked about if you were with us in the morning services. You, you are going to be in a battle. As a believer, you're going to be warring against flesh. You're going to try and walk in the spirit. You're going to be warring against darkness and you're going to be in the light. You're going to be, in, in essence, on the side of Yahweh, who is the Lord of hosts, as Daniel would know him. And, and those false gods of the Babylonians are going to come against you. And so Daniel is really making a contrast here as he kind of brings to light this man, Ariok, who's the commander of, of the guard. And, and basically the commander of the guard 
is already not telling the truth. He's taking credit for finding the interpreter. And and in fact, Daniel was already there. It had nothing to do with him actually seeking Daniel out. Daniel actually sought him out. It's like, take me to the king. And Daniel's humility is contrasted with that of of worldly rulers. And so when, when you see all of these things unfold, you can kind of get a glimpse of in what's going to happen throughout human history. If you're going to dare to be a Daniel, if you're going to dare to live your life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, then you too are going to be a contrast to the things of this world. You're going to be truth in the midst of lie. You're going to be light in the midst of darkness. You're going to be one of those ones who will serve the true and the living God while the false gods, the false gods of this age, those things that we would call idols, rage and roar all about the earth. And you're going to be that person whom God uses to be that contrast. And I want you to see that Daniel is the only person that's taking this stand at this time. His three friends are certainly in that gang, but we we haven't heard from them yet. And so Daniel represents someone who's willing to stand when everyone else bows the knee. He, he is willing to say, I don't care who caves in, I'm going to stand up. And notice, as Nebuchadnezzar hears these words, even in this introduction to the interpretation, uh, which is going to come here in verse 29, at least the beginning of it, notice the word but. It's one of the great buts in all of the Bible. But. There is a God in heaven. You talk about an open door. Because there's such a contrast here because what's happened is, is look, I want all the soothsayers. Nebuchadnezzar saying, I want all the magicians. I want anyone who's an astrologer. Anyone who might be normally in the realm of those people that I could turn to at such a time as this. Get me every last one of them. And Daniel's saying, now you're, you're not going to get the answer you're looking for from them. But. You know, sometimes you're going to be at a memorial service. And everybody's going to be turned a certain direction. You're going to be that person that says, but there's a God in heaven. Sometimes you're going to be at a family gathering. And the family is, is talking about all of the things of the world And you're going to be the one that's going to stand up and say, but there is a God in heaven. That is our call in this world to a very large degree to be the ones who stand up and say, but there is a God in heaven, but God. And there are so many of these phrases kind of interspersed throughout all of scripture. And they're usually followed with some incredible truth, but God who is rich in mercy but God who is steadfast in his love. This is one of the great ones. But God in heaven reveals mysteries, has come and shown the king, shown Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come, in the last days. Now I want you to notice what's at stake for Daniel. Think about it for a second. His life is on the line. This isn't one of those things to where he's answering a quiz. It's not like he's sitting in a classroom. If he gets it wrong, he can take the test over again. This is a one and done thing. 
If he does not give the right dream and he does not give the interpretation, Daniel is a dead man and so are all three of his friends. You find out exactly how big your God is the more serious things get in your life. You know, it's not all that tough to, to walk with the Lord when you're you know, confined to your own family dynamics and everybody's a Christian and you're just, everybody sits around. We just had family over these last couple of days and we're sitting around and we, we love the Lord. All of us love the Lord. We're sitting around talking about things about the Lord. It's like, it's not really all that hard. But it is a lot different when people don't know the Lord. Or worse yet, when they literally hate the Lord. You're going to find out exactly what you're made out of in those times. And so Daniel, with death on the line, informs the king that there's a God in heaven who has the future of the whole world in his hands. And when you look at Nebuchadnezzar's response here, you kind of wonder, you know, how surprised was he that Daniel would be this bold? Because you would think for a moment, I don't know how you might think about yourself being stuck into Daniel's position here. But I know for me, how many, man, I hope I heard from God correctly. You know, I, I, God, I, I believe you spoke to me. But Daniel was speaking with the kind of boldness that is available to every last one of us if we'll trust the Lord. This is not a unique thing only to Daniel. This is available to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 46, there in verse 10, it, it is really this picture that comes up of who God is. And remind yourself that Isaiah was writing almost a century earlier than Daniel. In verse 10 of chapter 46, the book of Isaiah, for I will make known the end from the beginning from ancient times what is still to come for I alone say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please the same God that was with Isaiah the same God that was with Jeremiah it's the God that's with Daniel it's the God that's with you and the God that's with me he's not lost a, a bit of his potency throughout the ages he isn't like us as we age. You know, it's interesting. You know, it, for those of us who are in the room that are a little bit older, our brains still think we can do everything we used to do. Amen? You know, you get up in the morning, and you go grab your shoes, and I can put these on, no problem. I'll just bend over, and then you realize, oh, I can't bend over. <laughs> you grab your socks, you're looking for the stick to try and help get that sock out there to the toe. It's like, that's a little further than I want to go. But God's not like that. God, God is not waking up in the morning, man, I'm just so sick of telling the, the, what's going to happen in the future. I, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. Well, what God purposes to do, he is more than able to do. What God has said will happen, will happen. It is a foregone conclusion. There, there's no ifs in that sense in God's economy. There's ifs from a human perspective, but not from God's perspective. God is sure, he is certain, what he says will happen. And so we see this 
prophetic view of what we would call the last days uh, come into come into view and I, I again would remind you people often mistake this because when someone says the last days they they have a tendency to over generalize or be overly specific the term is used 86 times in your bible and all 86 times it, it has a general meaning it's talking about the time of the age of grace in a general sense. The last days began when Jesus said, it is finished. Because from that moment on, we have been heading towards the close of human history. The age of grace began when Jesus said, it is finished. If you want to look at it that way. Because until he completed the work on the cross... The age of grace had not yet started. It was in view. The Old Testament saints understood and waited by faith, but it literally became a reality when Jesus finally gave his life, paid the price for our sin, and we could believe on his name and the fullness of the gospel was complete. He died in our place. So in that sense, the last days have been going on for nearly 2,000 years. But in a very specific sense, the Bible also talks about the last days very, very, very precisely. And it talks about a number of periods of time. And one of those is a period of time called in that day. That is a portion of the last days which began when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. And continue until our day. The last days are still yet future. Although they began when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. And that period of time known as in that day has yet to even start. Because it refers to the day that we call the day of Jacob's trouble. Which is also Daniel's 70th week. The tribulation. The time when God will finally deal with mankind for what it's done to Israel. For what it's done with the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for the torture that has been poured out upon the Jewish people. God intends one day to redeem all Israel. That has not yet happened. It is still yet future. And God has a plan to make that happen. And so Daniel is beginning to open up the windows of our mind to tell us that God has a plan all the way to the end of days. When he's done with the age of grace. When as Jesus said, the times of the Gentiles are complete. Jesus wrote those words. Uh, they're in, in Luke, Luke's gospel in chapter 21. But in Isaiah 24, uh, as we find referring here to this Aramaic word trixa, which is, which is simply the latter days or the end of days, uh, the day of the Lord or in that day, they're all referring to a time that in Daniel's time was yet future. 
The prophet Isaiah again writes in chapter 24, verse 21 and 22, and so it will happen in that day, and here's how we know there is a slight difference and great specificity, that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high. You realize what he's saying there, right? That all of those demons, that a third of the stars that fell, that demonic host in heavenly places, the ones that are the rulers of the darkness of this age, the prophet Isaiah, over a hundred years before Daniel writes, said there's going to come a time in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. Guess when that's going to be? Because there's a time when the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is going to come again. Amen? And there are a couple things that are going to happen. There's going to be a dividing between the sheep and the goats. There's going to be wheat. There's going to be tares. There's going to be saved and unsaved. There's going to be believers and not. And you don't get a chance to be on any other side of that issue. And so it says, in that day... The time of Jacob's troubles, uh, the end of the age of the Gentiles, the end of the age of grace. And they will be gathered together like prisoners in a dungeon and will be confined in prison after many days that they will be punished. And I want you to keep tabs on these phrases because too often people say that one is this thing and this one is that thing and that one is that thing when in fact they're referring to collectively a very large period of time that today is 2,000 years and they're specifically referring to a period of time that has not yet happened. And the reason we know that is because God has told us what is going to happen in that day. And it hasn't happened yet. So when Jesus said, and there will be wars and rumors of wars, he wasn't talking about a war now and again. He was talking about the perpetual state of mankind on the face of the earth. Why? Because Isaiah reminds us that God himself is going to deal with the heavenly host of wickedness and the evil of mankind simultaneously on the face of the earth. There's only one period of time listed in all of scripture that fits that description. And it is the seven years of the tribulation, Daniel's 70th week, which we'll learn about in chapter 9 of this amazing book. And so as Daniel begins to interpret this dream, he is setting up for us an understanding of things that are future. He's not just talking about what the king saw in his dream. He's going to give us information that's going to push us forward um, throughout successive world kingdoms and we'll see that as we move through this dream both tonight and then following up with the rest of it next week verse 29 notice as for you O king thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this so daniel tells him point blank straight up the thing that you were dreaming about is going to come to pass after this in other words, it's future. It's not that week, but it contains a starting point. Daniel's going to give him that starting point. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. 
Notice how he continually pushes King Nebuchadnezzar to think about the future. These things will be. They have not yet come to pass. They're going to come to pass after this. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king that you may know, that you may know the thoughts of your heart king nebuchadnezzar god wants you to know what's inside of your heart and he wants you to know what the future holds you o king were watching and behold a great image and this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome And this image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut without hands. Does anybody remember what title Jesus has? He is the stone without hands. You see, Jesus himself comes into view. But this time period begins with King Nebuchadnezzar, and we're going to find out exactly why in just a moment. Which struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces locking these things in and then the iron the clay the bronze the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff in other words they disappeared from the summer threshing floors the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. And so we have this enormous melutazim, this, this image or form. It's an, it's an idol. It, it would have been known uh, to Nebuchadnezzar as one of his idols of his God. Daniel's saying, you worship these gods. You're, you, you have them in your pantheon. You happen to, to, to worship uh, a whole group of gods, so you're, you're familiar with this. And he says, this is what's going to happen in the future. And he lays out four principles here. This is this enorm, just enormous statue. And Jesus speaking of that time there in Luke 21 and says, they will fall by the sword, They'll be taking prisoners of all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles, but only until the times of the Gentiles are completed, fulfilled. That God has apportioned a period of earth's history to the rise and fall of Gentile kings and kingdoms. They've had their time. They still have their time. We're still in that time. The only difference is 
It began with King Nebuchadnezzar in a general sense because Daniel's telling him, look, he's going to tell him in a moment, you, O king, are the head. And you're going to see successive generations, all of which deteriorating in, in, in the power of that king, increasing in the power of the military, increasing in the size of the territory, and increasing in the duration or the length of their rule. And as Daniel looks at this enormous statue, it gives us pause to stop and wonder for a moment about the history of the world's successive kingdoms. And if you know a little bit about world history, and if you know a little bit about world kingdoms, I'm going to give you a little bit of it tonight. You will know that there are certain characteristics about the world kingdoms that started during the time of Babylon, continued through the time of Media Persia, moved into the time of the rule of the Greeks, into the rule of the Romans, and into the Romans' influence on the world that we live in currently. Because the Romans still have a little bit of power in this world. Some of that power is exerted through the Roman Catholic Church because it is decidedly Roman. But it is also not full, it is not completely a world ruler, but it still has tremendous influence. If you don't think about that, the the most powerful person on the planet uh, probably is the United States, the president of the United States of America, but, but second only to the Pope. The Pope speaks into the life of about 1.6 billion people. That's the total, almost the total population of China. It is the population of India. And so the Pope has access through the Catholic Church to a very large portion of the world's population. And so we're going to take a look at this image in just a minute. But you're going to see something as he describes these particular kingdoms because there's something unique about them. And if you know a little bit of, a little bit of science, this will be helpful tonight, but I'll, I'll give you some of it as we go through these things. There's an underlying power in each one of these kingdoms. Daniel says this image is, is terrible. It lit, it, or he says literally that, it, that it's awesome, but it really means terrible in the sense that uh, it's excellent, but it's also like we would say our military power is excellent, but it's also terrible because it kills people. And so military might, in that sense, uh, just as we'll see in these successive kingdoms, uh, has a terrible side to it. And so beginning in AD 32, start to finish, we have a picture uh, of what the world's kingdoms are going to look like, and it comes in the form of this image. This gigantic statue that's going to be standing on the plains of Dura. Uh, And so when you look at this thing, you can imagine Daniel getting a vision of this. You can imagine King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon getting a picture of these things. And if you, you think about these particular metals that are used, you're going to find out that they are the, the, the ways that we actually understand and describe. Anybody ever heard of the Bronze Age? Uh, you know why that is? Because it was the bronze belly and the bronze thighs. If you know anything about the Greek, they were the silver empire, and in fact... Every single implement that was made during the the Greek period for the Greek gods, if it was made for a Greek god, it was made out of silver because the silver was the precious metal of the day. For King Nebuchadnezzar, it was gold. And he's going to be told in just a moment that he is the head of gold. 
Uh, we all know, anybody remembers, that the reason that the Roman ar- army was capable of moving with such lightning speed is they actually finally figured out how to wrap a chariot wheel in iron, which made it impervious to destruction while driving it over roads, which they also implemented. They also implemented iron weapons. The bronze was copper and tin mixed together, much softer. And so when you look at the, this incredible statue that's roughly 90 feet tall, and Daniel's explaining it to the king. He's really giving the, the future from man's perspective. He says, look, king, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about world history, and I want you to understand these things. There, there is going to be a, a kingdom that's going to come after you. There's going to be a rock that's going to come after you. There are going to be kingdoms that are going to take over, in essence, your kingdom. And so he, he describes these things using precious metals generally or metals that would be common ultimately in in military might but he does so very interestingly in decreasing specific gravity and for those of you that care about such things uh, something that has a very high specific gravity has a higher mass or a higher uh, density of its molecules and or atoms relative to its mass and so the babylonian empire was very compact very dense Gold happens to be the highest specific gravity. It has a specific gravity of about 19. And and so there's a head of gold, the Babylonian Empire. You'll also notice that these decrease, excuse me, increase in time and have limited power. The king of Babylon had absolutely unlimited power over most of the known world at that time. But the Babylonian Empire lasted a scant 66 years total. And then it disappeared from the face of human history. Notice what Daniel said. The wind is going to successively carry away as if this was wheat chaff on the summer threshing floor, each one of these empires. Go looking for a person who claims to be a Babylonian. Saddam Hussein was one of those people who claimed, he claimed to be Nebuchadnezzar reincarnated. But was he? No. The second uh, world governing power, Media Persia, uh, was was known for their silver. The the specific gravity of silver is about 10.5. So it's roughly half as dense as gold. And if you look at the the spread of the Media Persian Empire, uh, it would expand, but it would be less dense. It would be less Medes and less Persians in a much larger area. The same thing is true with Greece with the Bronze Age, the Middle Bronze Age, the Canaanite period uh, in Israel, with Rome and and the Iron Empire. By the time, the reason we can still find an awful lot of Roman uh, implements of war is because they were made out of iron. They actually lasted throughout the ages. So it's not too terribly difficult to find a Roman iron sword. But each time this statue changes metal, it also gets weaker and weaker and weaker and bigger and bigger until it gets so big uh, that it, we, we see it as the, as the Roman Empire. And so what happened during the time uh, that Daniel speaks of that we would call the modern age 
uh, is Rome faded out of existence. And so you have Babylon exists for about 66 years, Media Persia for about 209, 210 years, Greece for 277 years, and then Rome comes on the scene. Anybody want to remember what the Rome, how long the Roman Empire existed? About 1,500 years. Almost to the Reformation. And so you have this incredibly diverse empire that learned to exist within society. So you had some Romans and you had some Gauls. You had some Romans and you had some Celts. You had some Romans and you had some Germanic people. You had some Romans and you had some Spanish. You had some Romans and you had some Russians. You had some Romans and you had a few Persians left. And so the Roman Empire grew infinitely in size. But the Roman Empire actually, if it did not militarily conquer you, it actually allowed you to live your life. It's one of the reasons the Romans weren't universally hated. They built the world's first aqueduct systems. They built the world's first road systems. They were responsible for the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. And so Daniel sees this image and he says, you're the head of gold. And so he's really giving a history lesson that would be a future history and geography lesson. And so if you were to look at the maps of the world, if you look at the Babylonian Empire, and I tried to pull ones that you could actually see fairly easily. Uh, if you look at the Babylonian Empire, it is, exists for a very short period of time, and it is primarily modern-day Iran, Syria, Israel, Jordan, and a little bit of Egypt. The Media Persian Empire, and, and you can look by the bodies of water. That's the easiest way to kind of look at this particular map. If you, if you look at the Media Persian Empire, okay, it takes up a little more of North Africa, a little more of Egypt, and it takes up quite a bit more of the area around uh, the, the Persian Gulf. It extends over into the stands, what we would call Uzbekistan and all of those countries. Um, but it doesn't go very far north. By the time you get to the Grecian Empire, the Grecian Empire spreads out significantly and goes all the way to India. And by the time you get to the Roman Empire... They're all the, way, all the way to Hadrian's Wall in, in what we would call modern-day Scotland. So each time, the image takes up a little bigger part of the statue. Each time, the people are scattered out in a much greater distance. They're a little less dense. Each time, they rely more on military and military might to, to divide and conquer. Each time, they have a little less, a little lengthier duration. They have a lot more deterioration and every last one of them was doomed and not one of them exists today. And so these world empires, as they come on the scene, finally Daniel gives the beginning of the interpretation, this, this amazing statue that he sees. And he says in verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. And so this is how we know that it's a world empire. Guess who he's talking to? The king of a world empire. And he's already said that this is a successive list of nations. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, 
and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field, or the birds of heaven, he has given you, given them into your hand. Excuse me. And you have been made ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Gold is the densest of all of these metals. He said, wherever they are in the world as you know it today, they're under the thumb of Babylon. So if you were to go back to that map and think about the Babylonian Empire, basically that was the world then. Very little happened outside of the bounds of the Babylonian Empire. And in fact, Marduk, the chief god of the Babylonians, was known as not only the god of the sun, but he was the god of gold. And we're going to see that extensively gold is used. In fact, the, the great Greek writer Herodotus, as he spent some time uh, in, in Babylon, 90 years after Nebuchadnezzar, so at the end of the Babylonian Empire, after its fall, actually, but very close to when it was still a power in the world, uh, as a Greek, uh, he, he said that extensively gold was used in the buildings, the shrines, the images that he saw. And you can look these things up in, you know, International Bibles Encyclopedia Online, or they're easy for you to find. But Nebuchadnezzar, hearing these things, he's like, are you talking about me? Did you just say I'm the head of gold? And didn't you just say that all of these kingdoms are going to get blown away by the summer wind on the threshing floor? Are you saying I'm going to disappear? This is the boldness of Daniel. He's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. And guess what happened? That's what happened. They were blown away. That land was left desolate. You go searching for the, the, the great hanging gardens of Babylon, you're going to find nothing but mud bricks. You're not going to find evidence of, the, of a great Babylonian civiliz- civilization uh, as a civilization anymore because they were blown away in the wind. The walls, the buildings were overlaid with gold at one point in time, but since that time, uh, it's been anything but uh, a thriving world empire. It's one of the things that made um, Saddam Hussein so interesting as he began to make these bricks that said on them in the, in the reign of Saddam Hussein, uh, Nebuchadnezzar II. You know, he call, even called himself that. Daniel basically is making it clear. He says, look, there's a sovereign God in heaven who has all these things uh, completely in view. Uh, and these parts of history are going to happen exactly as, as Daniel uh, puts them forth. And one of the key elements to the interpretation of this dream is that God is actually the, the bestower, if you will, of dominion and power. And your Bible, by the way, confirms that in Romans chapter 13. You know, sometimes we think that, you know, God's asleep. And one of the reasons I think we need to be really careful about our, our activity in, in political things, because God has made it very clear that there is the biblical and there's the political. And if we are children of God, we're going to vote our conscience and all those kind of things. That's all important and true. But God's the one that actually appoints kings and kingdoms. Everyone, Romans 13, 1 says, must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established, and the authorities that exist have been established by God. And they're there for a purpose. They're there for a reason. God, sometimes we wonder why God created some of the institutions that we have. 
why he's allowed things to go the way he's gone. But God is not taken aback by all these things. He knows exactly what is going to happen in the rest of human history. And while it's important for us to vote our conscience and our Christian values, we do not need to sit around and endlessly worry about every last thing that's going on in the world. Because God, in fact, does have it under control. We need to concern ourselves where we can with laws that will affect us, especially those that affect our children. We have some crazy things going on in our state, and you need to be made aware. There are a thousand websites that you can go to and get that information. I could spend all, all service, every service, talking about those things. But I think what God actually wants us to do in church is to get prepared so that we are actually trusting in this God who has everything under control. And so Daniel's giving credit where credit is due. He's saying, there is a God in heaven who has these things under control. There's a God in heaven who's appointed these things. There's a God in heaven who cannot be thwarted. And, and make no mistake, I, I'm not suggesting that we should not uh, ever look at the world and go, you know, well, let's just give up. You know, God's got it under control. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying behind every single politician, above, beyond, there is a God in heaven. Every president, whether you agree with him or not, whether you voted for him or not, there is a God in heaven. You should vote for one that believes the things, same things we believe, who will do the right things because that's the shortest path to blessing. But make no mistake, there is a God in heaven who governs the affairs of men. He's always been there. He's never not been there. And he's not asleep. Every one of us has to remember that from time to time. So otherwise, we get so caught up in minutia of the direction that the things are going in this world that we get paralyzed by it. I've talked to so many Christians who sit around and, and they go to these fringe websites and get themselves all worked into a frizzy, frenzy as if Armageddon is going to happen tomorrow. Look, if it happens tomorrow, the rapture is going to happen before it happens. So you're going home to heaven. Okay? So, so it is right for us to have an expectancy. It's right for us to have urgency. But it is not right for us to not trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. We need to do the right thing while we have breath in our lungs. That is an absolute fact. But let God govern the universe. He's been really good at it for a very long time. He's not going to let us down. We're going to have laws. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. When you go through Matthew 24, you realize there is a great apostasy coming. And there's not a thing the church can do to stop it. God has actually said it's going to happen. So don't let it surprise you if people aren't following Jesus right now. Because Jesus said things like this were going to occur. God's already told us that there would be successive empires. And those empires would fade from existence. If he was right about the Babylonians and he was right about the Medes and the Persians he was right about the Greeks he was right about the Romans he's going to be right about everything else amen 
So you can trust him with that. You don't have to sit awake at night, you know, trying to figure out all the world's problems. Let me just save you the problem of that. The world's got problems. And it's going to have problems until the Lord Jesus comes again. You're not going to solve those problems. And again, do not mistake what I'm saying. Please, in Jesus' name, go to the voting booth and vote for people who are most like Christ. That's an absolute necessity. Trying to elect godly rulers because those godly rulers, when we have them, we rejoice. Amen? And when we don't, we won't. That's the truth of Scripture. But don't take it so far as if God fell off the throne because somebody got into office that you don't agree with. Or I don't agree with. Or we don't agree with collectively. If I were to worry about that, man, God fell off. God absolutely was asleep. He was asleep for thousands of years because he he let the Greeks come on the scene. They ruled the world harshly. The Romans came on the scene. They they ruled the world harshly. Amen? What happened during the Second World War? Was that like a really wonderful time? No? You think God fell off the throne during the Second World War? Oh, the Holocaust. You know, see, sometimes people come to me and they say, well, you know, it's so much yet. Yes, it is worse. That's sure. That's true. It is worse. But that's what God said would happen. It would get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then the end will come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God's got that under control. He knows when the last day is. So you be prepared for that last day. You preach the gospel as if your life depends on it. You tell people about the Lord as if you don't have another day, because you might not have another day. You, you see, the church is supposed to be ready for when those things happen, not if they happen. Amen? Do you understand what I just said? God's already told us it's going to get ugly, it's going to get really bad, and it's going to be the worst right before He comes again. So unfortunately, we've already outlived the Babylonians, we've outlived the Medes and the Persians, we've outlived the Greeks, we've outlived the Romans, we are at the end of the revived Roman Empire, and I believe we are right smack dab before the Lord comes and gets his church. So it shouldn't surprise you that we are finding new ways to write laws that are about as anti-Christ as you can possibly get. Vote against those things. By all means, dial up your congressman and tell him, her, that they need to change the way they think about these things. Absolutely do those things, but don't be surprised if all of that effort accomplishes little or nothing. Because the Bible says it's going to get worse before it gets really good and he takes us home. So it matters what you do in that time. That's why this book is so important to us, because it gives us a view of human history. How we can say, you know what? Ooh, that was really bad. So you read Grecian history, not good. Roman history, not good. Successive Caesars that thought they were actually gods themselves. Matter of fact, you were sworn to say there is no God but Caesar. Amen? King Nebuchadnezzar is told he's the king of kings. That was for that day. But it was not eternal. Because there's one king of kings and he's coming back. 
There's one Lord of Lords and he's coming back. There's one who's the great I am and he's coming back. There's the one that was here before and there's the one that's going to be after and he's called the Alpha and the Omega and he's coming back. Amen? So don't, don't let these things get you so much in a tizzy that you stop doing what you can do in this world to see people come to faith in Christ. Preach the gospel like you've never preached it before. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was not subject to other men, wasn't subject to their laws, but he was subject to God. And God did exactly what God said he was going to do with Nebuchadnezzar. When Jesus came, there in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Amen? He didn't say some authority. He didn't say except when the U.S. Congress gets involved in it. He didn't say unless President Trump tweets it out. Or before him, President Obama tweets it out. You know, if, if they get involved, well, you know, leave me out of it. No, it's not that at all. There is a God in heaven who still reigns on high. All authority. Colossians 2 says, you have given the, been given the fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and every authority. The reason I'm sharing this with you is so that we remember who our God is. And sometimes I think we, we give so much credit to the enemy, we don't give credit to Jesus. We, we wander around thinking and it kind of in and of ourselves is like, oh, we're almost like chicken little. It's like, oh, the sky is falling. <laughs> you know, it's like the world's gonna, no, no. What are we gonna do? We're going to go to heaven. That's what we're going to do. We're, we're one day going to, going to hear the trumpet sound and the dead in Christ are going to be raised and we who are alive and remain are going to meet him in the air. Amen? That's what the Bible says about us. If we believe that, it causes us to walk in a measure of peace in a very, very difficult world. Jude verse 25 says, To the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen? That's who God is. That's who the Lord is. That's why Revelation 12 says what it says. Verse 10 For I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now we have come to the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and of the authority of his Christ. Amen? That's the real ruler of the universe. That's the one who's actually in charge of everything. Now, in so many of my trips to Washington, D.C., traveling back there for the Watchmen on the Wall conferences with with Family Research Council. I, I just I, I remember just sitting and you know just going through all of the things that were going on in the world and, and I've I've looked at it me personally. I say you know what those things are different than they were during Roman times, but in some ways they're exactly the same things. There's still people taking advantage of other people and abusing other people. It's still us creating laws to try and justify our sin. 
And so I've had to ask myself some very difficult questions. It's like, what are we going to do about that? Well, what I want to do about that is train people in the, in the things of the Lord so that when those temptations come, they won't give in. When it comes time to vote, they're going to go, that's against the will of the Lord. When it comes time to look at the, the governing officials in our world, we'll look at them through a biblical lens and we'll go, you know what? God would have me stand. You want me to bow, but I'm not doing that. It may come to that. You know, I, I could very well get arrested here in the next couple of years for some of the stances that we are going to take because the Bible tells us how we view marriage. The first time I, I get in that situation, I've told you before, I'm going to jail. Somebody comes in and says, I have to perform a, a wedding between two men. I'm going to say, no, thank you very much. Um, I'll put my hands out and you can put the cuffs on them. I'll go to jail first. And I don't say that because of, of an external boldness. Look, the Bible says it. I believe it. I'm willing to do that. So I, I can stand in that moment. Just like Daniel's going to say, he's going to go into a fiery furnace. It's going to cost him. He's going to get thrown in the lion's den. It's going to cost him. But the whole time, he, he's going to go into the fiery furnace. He's going to come out. He's not even going to smell like smoke. That's the God I trust in. There, there could very well be some, some military action in Israel. But what I know about human history from my Bible is that's got to happen. That has to happen. Because there's going to be a person that's going to come on the scene in the very last days. We know him as the Antichrist. And he is going to make a peace treaty with Israel. The only reason you need a peace treaty with Israel is if Israel is a world power and there's war. So my Bible says there is going to be a war in Israel at some point in time. But my Bible also says one day the Lord's going to come for his church because he's not appointed us unto wrath but unto salvation. So while on one hand I, I see the signs of the times, on the other hand, just like Daniel could say in, as he views this image, he goes, eh, you're nothing. I'm going to trust in the God who gave me the, the, the interpretation of this dream and gave me the dream itself. I, I don't see Daniel fretting. I don't see Daniel just banging away at two o'clock in the morning on some obscure website trying to find out who knows who the Antichrist is. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten some of your emails. Uh, Jeff, I, I'm pretty sure it's the uh, it, it's the uh, the guy in Russia, and I'll type back. You know, you're talking about Vladimir Putin. Yeah. Well, before him, it was Brezhnev, and before him, it was Khrushchev, and before you know, it's just like every single ruler of the Soviet Union was the Antichrist at some point in time. Personally, I think it's Barney. Never trust a purple dinosaur. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I do know the king. And the king just told me to get ready. He didn't tell me to worry. Matter of fact, King Jesus said, do not worry. Period. And then just in case you didn't get it, he said, not even about tomorrow. Amen? Or what you'll eat or what you drink what you're going to wear and he gave us some examples he said just don't worry 
Be busy about your father's business because God does have it under control. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, I pray that if there's anybody here tonight that's just worried, they're worried about what is going on in the future. They're worried about the rise of the Antichrist. They're worried about the mark of the beast. They're, they're worried about having to buy bread or getting a chip or an implant in their head. God, I pray that you just set them free because your word says you've not appointed us unto wrath but unto salvation. But before all of that really gnarly stuff actually begins to happen, you're going to take your church home. But before that time, we're going to have the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel and your amazing grace with an awful lot of people. And so we pray that we'd spend our time wisely doing exactly that. Lord, we don't worry. You were right about these world kingdoms, and you're going to be right about everything else that you've said in your word. And so we can simply rest and trust in you. And we thank you for that peace that surpasses our own human understanding that the Apostle Paul said <clears throat> guards our heart and our mind in you, Jesus. And so with a guarded heart and a guarded mind, uh, Lord, we just rest and trust in you. We do as Daniel did. We just step back and say, God, you've got it. There is a God in heaven. And we rest and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.